Good morning. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be here this morning and share with you a little bit. Uh, many of you know me. Um, I've been a part of the church here for, I think, 41 years, if I uh, calculate correctly. But um, some of you may not have met me. I'm somewhat of an introvert and don't, don't socialize a whole lot. And uh, that's just the way God wired me. But um, it's a blessing to be one of your church's missionaries as well. And uh, to have an opportunity this morning, I was asked to give a little report on my ministry, as well as to share God's word with you. Um, I basically am an independent missionary. I'm a one-person operation, so to speak. And my basic mission is to help churches use camping as a part of their church programming. Um, Over the years, many churches, of course, are very good at using music in their church programming, Um, Some churches are very effective at using sports in their church programming, but a lot of churches wouldn't have canoes, rafts, a log cabin, and camping equipment. And so over the years, I've had the joy of serving over 250 churches um, and helping them use camping in some capacity. Um, I'm thankful this morning for this church and for the fact that they've been a part of my missionary support for Over 30 years, I'm sure, and for those of you who also uh, share in the ministry individually. Kind of a give you a summary, I've got some pictures this morning of a very recent event, but before I do that, kind of the way my year goes is in the winter months, I have a log cabin in Wheeler about 45 minutes from here, and during the winter months, I hosted 11 winter retreats with uh, tubing and cross-country skiing and those kind of things. Then April is my rafting season down the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon. Usually a group from this church joins me on one of the raft trips, and I know some of you braver souls have been out on those. Then at the end of April, I pack the rafts away and get my canoes out, and most of my weekends in May and June are spent at the cabin on a Friday night with the group and then canoeing on Saturday on the Cohocton River from Bath to Campbell, or the Shemung River from Corning to Elmira. By the end of June, the rivers get kind of low, normally, and um, we switch over to the Seneca-Cayuga Canal up in Waterloo in Seneca Falls, and have had probably 10 or 12 groups up there this summer, Um, I had a group um, yesterday and the day before. Um, I got a group of guys from a church outside of Buffalo, spent Friday night at my cabin, and yesterday we canoed down the canal. Uh, This afternoon I have a group coming in from Owego, a college and young adult group, and they'll be spending the afternoon and evening with me, and again we'll be out tomorrow in the rain. And um, that's just the way it works. Um, usually we don't get rain all day. We had a trip about a month or a month and a half ago where it was the first time in years that it literally rained from the time we got in the canoes to the time that we got out. But it was a 72-degree rain, and the group um, had a good spirit and had a good time anyway. In the summer, I also do tent camping trips. Back at the end of June, I had a group from Wellsboro, Pennsylvania that tent camped with me for three days down at the Tioga Hammond Reservoirs. And we water ski and inner tube and those kind of activities there. And then um, throughout the summer, it's, it's canoeing. And in the fall, I've got uh, three more canoe outings scheduled yet in September. After Columbus Day, things kind of slow down on my schedule a little bit. And most of November is spent uh, getting out and meeting youth leaders Um, I go each year to the Iron Sharpens Iron Men's Conference and have a vendor table there. And um, after 30 years ago, deciding that I was too old at that point to stay up all night on youth events, um, I am now back in a position where twice in a month I am going to overnight Word of Life reverbs and challenging my body to um, stay up all night just to get a chance to uh, meet youth leaders and share the ministry with them. Um, This last year, I've also had the privilege of helping a couple churches that were without pastors. Um, There's a church up in Elba, which is about five miles north of Batavia, 
and I spoke up there probably eight or ten times in the last year, a year and a half, and they just recently, a couple weeks ago, brought in a new pastor, and then a church down in Owego that I filled in five or six times, I'm also just brought in a pastor, and it's a blessing to speak in churches and help out when, when churches are between pastors. So that's kind of a synopsis of what I do. Um, I've been in youth ministry for 41 years. Um, I know why camp directors often start in programming and eventually move into executive directors at camps, because they don't have to do all of the things that the program director does. But um, God has been gracious to me health-wise and has allowed me to, to so far, pretty much keep up with, with a bunch of teenagers. Um, I'm more comfortable around a group of teenagers I've never met than, quite honestly, I am with a group of adults. That's just been my life. And um, those of you that know me know that I've been single all my life. And those of you that are friends with me on Facebook know there's a gal in my life now. Um, that's the, the good news. The challenging news is she lives in Leesburg, Virginia, which is about five, five hours away. But um, we've been um, spending time together over the last nine months and um, not sure exactly you know, how God is going to mesh our paths yet. So um, if you want to pray for us, um, she's a teacher in a Christian school down there. And um, we just um, aren't sure of the, the timing of things going forward, but would appreciate your prayers in that regard. Um, also, in October, um, over the years, some churches have come up to me and said, Brian, do you ever have need of extra help for anything um, in your ministry, like a, a work crew or work day at your cabin? And traditionally, I haven't had a lot that, that needed done. But um, at this particular point, I have a bridge at the bottom of my tubing hill, and some of the heavy rains here this spring have... Um, washed gravel down in the creek, and I'm going to have to have a backhoe come in and dig that out. And then we need to tear the bridge out and rebuild it and also have um, some replacement work on my deck outside of the cabin and also have some firewood that needs to be cut before winter. And so October 19th, I've had a, one of the church youth groups that was with me this summer. The leaders contacted me and said they'd like to come back and um, help with some of the work projects in October and they asked if I knew of any other groups that would like to join them um, to get that word out. And so if, if any of you have um, a free Saturday in October, uh, one of the challenges of having work crews is usually it would have to be on a Saturday, and usually Saturdays I have an event. But um, we've got the date scheduled, and so if any of you are around and would be interested in cutting some wood or um, doing some carpentry projects, um, I could use your help. Um, this morning, I've got some pictures with me, and uh, normally I don't have a lot of pictures because I'm usually running around and have decided after 40 years that I don't have the photography bug that some people do. Um, I've tried you know, buying new cameras, thinking if I get a new camera, I'll take pictures, and it just never happens. But um, last weekend, I had a group from Harvest Bible Church up in Orchard Park, and they were with me for the first time with their youth group. And I find that the groups that are with me for the first time tend to take a lot more pictures than groups that are with me for the 15th time. And so um, I've got some pictures this morning. They are fresh. Um, this is last weekend, and I want to kind of walk you through an event at the cabin. So this is Friday night as the group arrived. Um, we start out with kind of a meet and greet, an orientation time, telling them a little bit about myself and a little bit about the cabin. Then this is supper. Those of you that have been on outings with me know my menu. <coughs> Hasn't changed in 25 years. You know, you, I, but um, we start out with spaghetti Friday night. And... Um, so this is the, the crew from last weekend, the youth leaders. And after supper, uh, we usually have some free time, some time for volleyball, just kind of hanging out at the cabin. Um, most, a lot of the groups like to get a group picture. 
one of the, uh, the youth leaders. Um, those of you that have been to my cabin, I have probably 30 different mounts. This is an African uh, wildebeest, and uh, usually it's the moose that gets all the kisses, but um, she wanted to kiss the wildebeest. So I won't describe all of the... Um, this is my jackalope. He's, he's kind of famous. I get a lot of women there that have never seen a real live jackalope. But again, these are just some shots that the, the group leaders took. Um, after we play some volleyball, we come in and do some singing, and I bring a message. Nobody ever takes pictures of their group during messages. They always take pictures of the activities, so um, you have to pretend that we've just finished our service. We go outside and have a campfire with s'mores. This is Saturday morning uh, breakfast, which has always been French toast and sausage. I'm actually in the process of changing that to, to pancakes and sausage now. So um, that's, that's going to throw a lot of people off in the, in the trips to come. Um, found pancakes are a little more filling and give them a little more energy to, to canoe by. But um, this time of year, we're canoeing up in Waterloo. So we get up and have breakfast and leave the cabin at 8 o'clock. We travel up to Waterloo. We get there by 9 uh, we unload the canoes, and then as soon as we get unloaded, the leaders take off for the other end with the vehicles to drop them off so that they'll be at the finish point. So during that time, the, the teens and other leaders are just kind of hanging out, getting ready. This is giving some of the instru uh, paddling instructions, telling them a little bit about the canal, a little of the history of it, and a little about what the day will entail. This is um, about 100 yards after we launch. We come to the first lock. Um, the group that I had Friday night, um, as usual, I'm telling them we're going to go into the lock and there's going to be a 17-foot drop in the water. And people that have never been around a lock immediately picture a waterfall. <laughs> and um, so I usually have to calm the fears of the junior high girls who think they're going to die. <laughs> So uh, the lock gate has opened. We've pulled into the lock. The water starts to drop real slowly, just like your bathtub. I usually tell... I have a, One thing about working with different groups every weekend is I can use the same lines every weekend with the groups. And I always tell them that, that the inside of the lock looks like your bathtub at home if you don't clean it. And that I know these things because I'm single. Then I usually tell them that they get bonus points if they lick the lock wall. <laughs> and they always ask me, how many bonus points? And I tell them 15,000. And they say, what are the bonus points for? And I say, Anything, any place you can get to accept them, you can redeem them. Um, and I've had 15 or 20 people uh, lick the lock wall over the years. Um, the first was a teenage girl who now is married with two kids, and her mom still razzes her about that. But this is inside the lock. Then after we drop 17 feet, the lock gate at the other end opens, and we paddle out 17 feet lower than we came in. Then after we paddle four miles, we paddle right through downtown Seneca Falls. This is arriving at the Seneca Falls lock. We get there around noon. We get out and um, have lunch and a devotional there. We have all of the lunch packed in coolers to, to go with us. So usually everybody's... Uh, this gal was a little chilly in the morning. I think there was a water fight and she lost. <laughs> she eventually warmed up, though. But um, nice sunny day uh, last week, and yesterday was a decent day as well. Uh, tomorrow is not going to be quite so decent. But And this is uh, getting ready for, for lunch. Then after lunch, I share a devotional with the group. 
Then we get back in the canoes, and in Seneca Falls, there's two 25-foot locks. One come out of one right into the other. So this is um, in the bottom of the two, the second one. So we've already dropped about uh, 45 feet at that point. Kind of a neat experience the first hundred times. I say that because I, I, I don't know how many times I've done the canal trip, but I'm, I'm estimating it's somewhere between 300 and 400 times that I've done this outing. And so sometimes com- people comment that, like, you seem very, um, like you, you've got this down to a, uh, down pretty good. And it's like, yeah, well, you do it that many times, and you do. So um, after the Seneca Falls lock, we paddle about a mile and three quarters. We come to our first swim spot where there's a rope swing. The unfortunate thing, um, I didn't build the rope swing. It was somebody else put it up, and it used to be there's a chain at the top, and then there was a hemp rope off of that, and after a number of years, the hemp rope... um, rotted away, and so at that point I made another rope that we attach every week with a carabiner to the chain, and the unfortunate thing is it's not terribly deep straight down from the, uh, the uh, rope swing, and so some people don't have the strength to get out quite as far as he did and to where you need to to, uh, to land. And uh, there's a tire there they stand on, and somebody left a ladder there years ago that's still there. That's one of the more successful ones. The ones that don't have the arm strength don't end nearly that well. And it's, I can kind of tell before the groups go off whether the guy or the girl has the arm strength to do it. And uh, yesterday we had some guys that, you know, guys think, okay, I can do this, and it um, didn't end well. But they're, st- they're still alive. This, um, you got to see this one. This was, this was the youth leader. He's a little taller, so maybe, it, maybe it's not going to work. No, it's not going to work. Then we uh, get back in the canoe. We paddle about three-quarters of a mile. We come to our second swim spot, which happens to be under a bridge. And... Um, This is a safe place to jump and dive here under the bridge. It's actually deep enough that you don't touch bottom, and it's actually legal. The sheriff's boat has gone by while we were there and didn't say anything. Um, I have heard they frown on you jumping off of the the deck of the bridges. But the the challenge, of course, is climbing up on this 10 or 12-inch thing. There's another one there that they're stepping on trying to get up. But we have a lot of fun uh, playing under there. I guess the videos aren't aren't playing, but okay. (laughs) And so that was our trip um, one week ago. Right. Uh, Before we look into God's word, let's bow for prayer, if we could, please. Father, thank you this morning um, for your word. Thank you that it is truth that changes our lives. Father, I know this morning it's not anything that I have to share that that changes lives, but Lord, it's your word. And Lord, I just yield myself to you now and pray you would um, guide my mind and my thoughts as we share in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I'd, I'd like to um, speak to you about the Christian life. And um, a couple of you may have heard me share some of these thoughts before, but um, do you ever struggle with your Christian life? 
Do you ever struggle trying to do what God wants you to do? This morning, I, I hope to kind of make that struggle kind of practical, if we could. And this morning, as we begin, I'd like you to think of your life as a boat, a big ocean liner, the kind with the, the big steering wheel with the wooden wheel with the pegs on it. And before a person comes to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, there's a lot of people that try to steer their boat in God's path. Now, of course, in our world and our culture today, there's a lot of people that have no interest in steering their boat in God's path. But there's a lot of people that think by being good or being righteous, they can earn their way to heaven. And um, Scripture, of course, tells us that we can't. And I'd like to look at a couple of verses this morning in Romans. If you would turn there with me, we're going to be kind of jumping around. I'm not really an expository type speaker typically because my mind isn't wired that way. Romans chapter 3. Chris contacted me this week and wanted to know if I had any scripture to put up on the screen. And I replied and said, I don't always follow my notes, so we better not do that. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Then turn over a couple chapters to Romans chapter 7 where Paul also talks about the law. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. Then turn over to Galatians chapter 2, another familiar verse to many of you. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. So here we have this person this morning who wants to steer their boat in God's path. They try, they hear the gospel message, and they learn that they cannot, of their own efforts, fulfill God's law. They, they hear that... Scripture says that we've all sinned. They hear that there's wages or consequences for sin. They hear the good news that Jesus left heaven and came and lived and died to pay for our sin penalty. And they hear that if they turn from trusting anything they do and put their trust in Christ, that they can be forgiven for their sin. And so now we have this person who is a believer, Now they start thinking, okay, before I came to Christ, I couldn't steer my boat in God's path. But now I'm a Christian, now I can live the Christian life. Now I can please God. And they go to church and they hear um, sermons about doing the best they can, about living righteously. They hear sermons about reading and praying and working to become better Christians. They hear messages about producing a righteous life. But for many of them, they experience what I call the try-hard, do-good-fail cycle. Now, this illustration kind of comes from the teenage world, but a lot of teenagers go to Christian camps when they're young, maybe junior high. And they go to a Christian camp, and there they are challenged to Once they've trusted Christ, they're challenged to to dedicate their life to the Lord, to commit their life totally to him. And so they do that at a campfire service, and they go home, and for about two weeks, their life is radically different than before they went to camp. But after a couple weeks, they kind of slide back into their old routines. Fifty-one weeks go on. They go back to the same camp the next year. They hear another message about rededicating their life, and they think, you know, I I did this last year. 
and it, it, it didn't stick. It, you know, the, the changes didn't last. Must be I didn't really mean it. Well, well, this year I really mean it, God. This year when I go home from camp, my life is going to be different. I'm going to make those changes, God. I'm going to, I'm going to do the things you want me to do with my life. So they go home from camp, and for about two weeks, again, their life is radically different. Then, as the previous year, they kind of slide back into their old routines. They go back to camp a third year. And again, they hear a different speaker share the same kind of message, you know, um, surrender your life totally to God, you know, live for him, be different when you go home. And they think, you know, I've done this twice. You know, must be it doesn't work. And they experience the try-hard, do-good-fail cycle. But you know, folks, that happens in our lives as adults, as we try to overcome various sins. We pray about it. We say, God, I know what's in my life is wrong. I know I need to change. And we dedicate our energies and our efforts to overcoming a particular sin. But we discover ultimately that even as a believer, we still can't live righteously. But the encouraging thing to me is I'm not the first one to ever face that struggle of trying to live the life pleasing to God. The Apostle Paul faced that same struggle. Turn with me back to Romans chapter 7 once again. A passage of scripture that we've heard many times. There's a lot of word repetitions in here, so I will read it slowly. If ever there was anybody that should have been able to successfully, consistently live the Christian life, it should have been the Apostle Paul. And yet he writes to us here, and he tells us how challenging that is for him. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Paul writes, and he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good that I want to do. No, the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind. Paul says, my my mind knows what God wants me to do. My body doesn't want to do it. He says, it makes me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. And then in verse 24, I kind of hear Paul saying, I give up. He says, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Folks, the Christian life can be exhausting. And I submit to you this morning, the more we realize that The more we try to please God, the more we realize that we can't in our own strength. The problem is, many times, we don't become weak enough to keep out of things altogether. So we keep trying, and we keep failing. Turn with me to John, chapter 15, the words of Jesus in a parable that Most of us are familiar with John chapter 15. A passage I remind myself of often in my own life.
John chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus speaks and he says, Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Anybody else ever have a problem with that phrase? Apart from me, you can do nothing? But wait a minute, God. I've, I've been in ministry for 41 years. God, I, I've been serving you for 41 years. You, you mean I can't do anything in my own strength, God? Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. I'm sorry, I skipped a verse. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I submit to you this morning that God doesn't want our works. And this morning, as we continue on in our thoughts, I'd like to share with you two words that I think are crucial in understanding the Christian walk. The first word is try. And I submit to you this morning that American, American churches many times are full of Christians that are trying to live for Christ. They're trying to do right. They're trying to serve God. But I submit to you this morning that the scriptural concept is not trying but yielding. Coming to God and saying, God, I've tried to conquer this sin in my life. I, I, I thought I had it this last time, but God, apparently I, you know, apparently I didn't try hard enough. And we, we refocus and we rededicate and we recommit ourselves to things we don't have the power to do in our own strength. Turn back to Romans once again. Romans chapter 6 this time. Verse 13. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. When I did my scripture memorization as a teenager, I, the only translation back then was the King James, and when I memorized that verse, I memorized, yield yourself to God. Yield. So this morning, I would like to convey to you visually what that concept entails. Some of you thought I was going to make it through a lesson without an object lesson. But um, I have here a bow saw this morning. Uh, this saw is created for a specific purpose. It's created and designed to cut tree limbs. It's not created and designed to saw down you know, 50-foot trees. It's designed for cutting limbs. It has a specific purpose. So suppose this morning this saw is hanging in the um, hardware store and... Um, it's hanging there. And, uh, <laughs> and um, I have some tree limbs in my backyard that need cutting. So I walk into the hardware store. I go over to the saw section, and I see this saw hanging there. And I come up to this saw, and I start talking to it. And I say, Mr. Saw, you were created to cut tree limbs. Um, what a coincidence. I have some tree limbs out in my yard that need cutting. Would you please go cut those limbs in my yard? I stand there looking at the saw, and it doesn't move. So I think maybe I didn't speak loud enough. Maybe I need to get a little more serious. Mr. Saw, um, let me explain to this, this to you again. I, I have these limbs in my yard that really need cutting. They're really getting in my way, and I would like you to go to 
my yard and cut those tree limbs. Nothing happens. Well, at this point, uh, John walks into the hardware store, and he sees me talking to a saw. His first thought is, Brian, what's wrong with you? But John's a little more tactful than that, and he um, treats me graciously, and he comes up to me and says, Brian, your problem is you don't own the saw. You've got to buy it. Well, gee, John, how come you never told me that before? So I take the saw down off the shelf, I take it up to the counter, and I um, pay the teenage clerk, and I take this saw home, and it's now my saw. I own it. So this saw is sitting in my back shelf, my back room, and um, I still have some tree limbs that need cutting. So I come up to the saw and say, Mr. Saw, now you are my saw. Now I own you. I've bought you with the price. You're my possession. Go out and cut those tree limbs. Um, I'll point the limb out to you, Mr. Saw. Mr. Saw, are you ignoring me? Mr. Saw, you apparently don't get the concept of what you were created for. Mr. Saw, you were created to cut limbs. I paid for you. I bought you with a price. You're mine. Go out and cut those tree limbs. At this point, Ed walks into my back room and sees me talking to the saw. And um, Ed is gracious to me, like John was, and he says, "Um, Brian, there's still something you're missing here. You have to pick up the saw. You have to supply the power. Well, thanks, Ed. Um, Appreciate you telling me that. I'd have stood here a long time, you know, going through this routine over and over. So I pick the saw up, and I take it out of my backyard. And most of you are smart enough to know this saw is designed to go back and forth like this to cut tree limbs. So I take this saw in my hand, I walk out to the tree limbs that are dangling, and I start trying to pull this saw back and forth. Let's suppose this saw has a mind of its own. And let's suppose that this saw is the younger generation, and they think that, you know, there's a new way to do this. You know, we should go back and forth like this. Nobody's ever thought of that before. It took us young folks to figure this out. So I've got that saw in my hand, and I'm trying to pull it this way, and it's working against me, and it's trying to go this way, and not many tree limbs are going to get cut. It's not until that saw yields itself totally to me that it accomplishes what it was created to do. And folks, that's the Christian life. You know, first we're the saw in hanging in the hardware store. We're not a believer. Then we trust Christ as our Savior. God owns us, and we think, okay, now I've got the power to, to do what God created me to do. But it's not until we yield ourselves to God's hands. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, if you would, please. Galatians chapter 2. Verse 20, Paul talks about this concept when he says that I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The crucified life. The yielded life. Charles Stanley, in one of his messages, made this statement. He said, The spirit-filled life begins with an overwhelming realization that we're absolutely helpless and hopeless apart from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Until that one simple truth grips us at the core of our being, we'll never experience the full-blown power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we're always out there doing things for God in our own strength. And when we fail, we'll promise to do better next time. The try-hard, do-good-fail cycle. 
Years ago, I used to take groups to tent camping in the Adirondack Mountains to a place called Stillwater Reservoir. Some of your kids and grandkids have been on those outings back when I was on staff at Family Life Ministries and in the days after that when I led church groups up there. And um, we would go about three miles out by boat. Um, it's state land all the way around the lake. There was a dock where we'd land in a parking lot and a little store. And we'd boat about three miles out on the lake. We'd set up our tents on the shores of the lake there and spend a week water skiing and intertubing and tent camping. Well, back years ago, back in the 80s, when I was still on staff at Family Life, I had my motorboat up there one time, and it was the main motorboat for our activities. And along about Tuesday or Wednesday, we started having some problems with my boat. We'd be um, tubing, and I'm dragging this tuber behind the boat, and the motor would kind of cut out, and then it would kind of jerk and go again. And if you're on an inner tube, that, you know, is not the greatest, but you can still tube. But then we would try water skiing. And a lot of the teenagers were just trying to learn to water ski, and they're struggling to get up out of the water, and just as they get up, my, my motor would kind of hesitate, and they'd sink down a little, and then it would... And it got very frustrating for the teenagers, and for me, of course, as the boat driver... So on Wednesday of that week, I decided I needed to take my boat and to a marina and have it checked out. I had done everything that I could think of um, with the motor. I thought maybe I've got some moisture in the gas tank. I tried my other gas tank, didn't make any difference. So Wednesday, I drove three miles down the lake with the motor doing that. I took the motor off the boat, put it in the back of my truck, drove nine miles down a bumpy dirt road, drove nine miles down a paved road, bumpier than the dirt road, and took the motor to a marina on Big Moose Lake. Walked in and said to the guy, told him my problem, and um, said, can you help me out? He said, well, we're kind of booked, you know, probably in about three weeks we could, you know, take a look at it. And I explained the situation and said, that's really not going to help me. And he said, well, there's a, um, a rack outside here. If you want to kind of tear into it, and um, you know, maybe we could give you some suggestions and stuff. So I went out, and I started tearing the motor apart and um, found out that the, the water pump was bad. So I put a new water pump in. Uh, we tested the, uh, tank, the boat in his tank there. Worked fine. Put it in my truck, drove it back down the pa bumpy paved road, the bumpy dirt road, put it back on the boat. Drove back out to the campsite, and it worked great. So we got the first skier up. Got the first skier up. It was doing exactly the same thing. So the next day, I decided I need to go back to the marina, and we're not going to put my motor in his silly little tank. We're going to take it out on Big Moose Lake, and he's going to see what my motor is doing. So I drove down, put the boat on the trailer, drove to the marina. We launched it in Big Moose Lake. And um, the mechanic got in with me, and um, he said, maybe you've got some moisture in your gas tank. I said, I thought of that. He said, well, let's just out of curiosity try one of his gas tanks. So we hooked up his gas tank, and lo and behold, my motor ran fine. And he said, sir, your problem is you've got moisture, apparently, in both of your gas tanks. Now, this was back in the mid-'80s, okay? He said, what you need to do is you need to find some back road here in the Adirondacks, empty the fuel mixture out of the tanks, which today would be in serious trouble for, but this was the, the mid-'80s. Might have been in trouble then if I got caught as well. And um, he said, you need to, to empty it out, and you need to refill it with clean, fresh fuel mixture. Now, at that point, my tanks had 99% gas and oil. But that 1% of moisture or condensation or however it got in there was keeping my motor from performing the way that it was created to perform. That's what happens in our lives. Instead of yielding and surrendering totally to God, we say, well, God, um, you know, I, I know I need your help in what I'm about to do, but um, God, I, I can do part of it on my own. You know, I can do... 
certainly more than 1% of it on my own efforts, God. You know, I've, I've led canoe trips for 25 years now, God. I know how this works. And as a result, it doesn't work the way that it's supposed to work. Too often, we don't get ourselves out of the way and die to self. Watchman Nee, who was a missionary in India years ago, in one of his books, talked about an experience where he and some of his fellow missionaries were bathing in the Ganges River. We think that's kind of odd, but that's all they had. And he said one day they were down at the river bathing, and one of their fellow missionaries started to have trouble out in the water and started to cry out for help. And Watchman Nee in his book said one of our other fellow missionaries was a lifeguard. And he said, I expected our fellow lifeguard to jump into the water to swim out and help this struggling brother. But he said, much to my anger, I watched the lifeguard missionary just stand on shore and watch this guy struggle. And he said, I didn't understand. And he said, ultimately, he, he struggled enough that he finally started to go under. And Watchman Nee says, at that point, the lifeguard kicked off his shoes, his outer coat. He dove in, swam out, grabbed the guy, brought him to shore. And Watchman Nee said, I was angry. How could you let our brother suffer like that? And he said, the, the lifeguard explained to him a principle of lifeguarding. And that is that when somebody is struggling, if you try to grab onto them, their adrenaline is flowing, and they could, gra- they could latch onto the lifeguard and pull him under. That's why when you go to a pool or someplace, you see the lifeguards with these belts or these rings that they throw to the struggling person. In our lives, the Holy Spirit doesn't sing duets. Sometimes the Holy Spirit steps back and says, Okay, Brian, when you get to the point that you realize you can't overcome this sin, that you can't live the Christian life and you stop struggling, then I'm here to take over. But too often, we never get to that point. We keep struggling. We keep trying to do it in our own effort. Years ago, Henry Ford was driving down the road one day, and um, he saw a car pulled over on the side of the road. Happened to be a Ford. Happened to be a Model T, only car they had. Happened to be black, the only color they came in. I'm glad times have changed. And um, Henry Ford is older in life at this point. And he sees this car pulled over on the side of the road with the hood up. And he sees a a young adult with his head under the hood trying to solve a problem. So Henry Ford thinks to himself, I I can help this fellow out. You know, I I invented, I created the car. Of course, cars were a lot simpler then too. So Henry Ford pulls over. He walks up the side of the road to this guy that's got his head down under the hood. And he says, "Um, excuse me, sir, it looks like you're having some problems here. Can I help you? He didn't tell the young man who he was. The young man looks up, sees this older fellow, and like some young folks, thinks that he knows more than these old folks. He says, no, I I, I can figure this out. I don't need your help. Didn't know he was saying that to the person who created and designed that very car. Henry Ford turned around, never told the guy who he was, walked back to his car, got in his car, and drove off. And that young man didn't realize that he had turned away help from the one who could have helped him. That's us so many times. God comes along and taps us on the shoulder and says, Brian, I see you struggling in this area of your life. See you having these problems. See you having trouble living the Christian life. Can I help you? And because as Christians... That pride that we had before we came to Christ now manifests itself as spiritual pride. We subconsciously turn to God and the Holy Spirit and say, God, no, I I got it. You know, if I just go to a bunch more seminars, I'll be okay. You know, if I just, um, just get a little more serious in my worship, you know, draw into your presence, I'll I'll be okay. If I just try harder, God, I, I can overcome this. And God's Holy Spirit stays in the background and says, okay, try. Go for it. 
But when you get to the point that you realize you can't do it, I'm here to empower you and equip you. So folks, this morning, the two words I want us to remember are the words try and yield. There's a world of difference. We have too many Christians that are trying to do, they're trying to produce fruit. But when Jesus said that he is the vine, we are the branches, a branch doesn't produce fruit. Too many people read in Scripture the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, patience, meekness, temperance, and think those are things that we're supposed to produce. They're not. They're things God produces in us. We're the branch. He's the vine. All the branch has to do is bear the fruit. But we have too many Christians that are trying to produce spiritual fruit. And folks, I'm not, I'm not immune from that. Um, I could lead canoe trips and retreats without depending upon God. I, I've done it enough times. And sometimes God steps back and says, okay, Brian, go for it. Let's see how your weekend goes. Try or yield. Which one is true this morning in your life? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning that you are the creator. You are the one that designed us for a purpose, not to cut trees, but to bear fruit. And Father, this morning, um, I pray that if there's anybody here who has never allowed you the opportunity to transform their life, to become their Lord and Savior, Lord, this morning, show them that they cannot steer their boat their life in your path. They cannot be good and meet the demands of your law in their own strength, but that they need Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Father, this morning, most of these dear folks know you as Savior. And yet, Lord, it's so easy in our life as believers for that same pride to show up as spiritual pride. To think now, well, now I'm a Christian. Now I've been coming to Alfred Almond Bible Church for for years. Now I've been reading scripture and and, um, praying for years. Now I can live the Christian life. And we try. We do good. And we fail. When God's word says we're to yield. Lord, help us to, to remember that visual image. To always realize that the Holy Spirit doesn't sing duets. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.